Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 44 of 2021, and we are finally getting some rain out here in California. I'm Chris Louie, and with me I have my co-host Brian Deach, who looks like he just came straight out of a Purge movie. It's, uh, it's funny that you should say that because my kids are playing this game, uh, they're seniors this year, and they're playing this game called Senior Assassins. And uh, it's a game where you shoot each other with squirt guns and whatever, and you have like safe zones and whatnot. But this Saturday is something they call Purge Night, where there is no safe zone, no safe uh, like uh, no safety items or anything. It's just like this is exactly the purge. So cool! I'm glad that you said that. I'm sure they're all really looking forward to that. And Glenn Medina, who I cannot see on screen right now. Hey everyone, welcome and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for Podcast 31. Uh, Happy Halloween to all of you. And just a note, if you happen to see a clown walking down the street with an axe, it's probably best to turn around and run. Yeah, that's, that's definitely some good life advice. I would second that. No guests this week, just us for the special Halloween episode. If you can't tell, we're all in costume. Uh, You won't be able to see us, but definitely check out our Instagram account at Podcast to see our costumes. So Brian is in a Purge outfit. Glenn is wearing camouflage, which is uh, why I said I can't see him. And I'm the Bitcoin moon guy. Hodl, Chris. Hodl. (laughs) Hodl. Hodl. Hodl Bitcoin. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This is our Halloween episode, and I know Brian is wearing a terrifying purge mask, so I thought our opening topic would be, if the purge were real, number one, would you partake? And number two, what types of crime would you do? We've all said on this podcast that we like to stay on the right side of the law because we don't look good in handcuffs, but what if crime was made legal for a day? For those of you who are unfamiliar with what we're talking about, The Purge is a horror movie franchise released around Halloween where the United States is refounded by the new founding fathers. Since old America had crime going out of control, the NFFs created a law that said for one day a year, actually it's about 12 hours a year, all crime is legal. The thought is that for 364 and a half days, there'll be zero crime if everyone can get it out of their system legally for one day. When you watch these Purge movies, they're mostly committing torture and murder. The rules of the Purge explicitly state that all crime is legal, not just murder. For me, I would do some type of cybercrime on Purge night, find a nice basement to lock myself in, either barricaded by steel plate or hire some loyal and very well-paid mercenaries to protect me. And that's the day you would want to hack into a bank and transfer all the money into your bank account. The problem with cybercrime is not breaking into the bank and stealing the money. The problem has always been getting away with it and getting the money out. So if I were able to transfer all the money into my account on purge night, it would legally become mine the next day. This is basically the plot of the James Bond movie Goldeneye. So Chris, you've you've thought about this very, very thorough. I like it. My answer is... Yeah, I'm just going to go black hat, right? I'm going to be the bad guy. But it's weird when you have a family, though, at the same time. you got to think, well, maybe you can't go out and doing nefarious type of things. So, I don't know. What about you, Glenn? Oh, I would just uh, build Fort Medina and make sure that no one can get in. And it's surrounded by electrical electric eels and alligators and hippopotamus. 
so that way no one can come into my house or into my in my territory so i would just yeah i would just surround my house with a, a bunch of uh mormon missionaries right nobody wants to talk to those guys <laughs> they just keep them all away i'm just kidding just kidding guys so white shirts and ties right that's what you would surround your house with yeah can you imagine <laughs> passing out leaflets <laughs> well what was that uh there's one uh, i wouldn't call it real i think it's religion what's the religion where they, they don't c- celebrate like birthdays and stuff like that oh jehovah witness jehovah's witness yes yeah. you know what's funny about that is that <clears throat> that means they don't celebrate Halloween and like knocking on doors is kind of their thing. So they're kind of missing out like on a key opportunity here. Just thinking out loud. But instead of, re- yeah, instead of uh, receiving something, they're always giving something. So yeah, quite different. It's the opposite way of thinking, but yeah, pretty similar skills. There's this, there's definitely a skill overlap there, but yeah, different, different mission. So I guess Chris, it, how much would be enough for you to walk away on a purge night? Enough to set me up until next year's purge night. Is if I fucking, I think it's one of those. It takes money to make money things. So I'll, I'll take a bunch of money, and then I'll reinvest that into a, a bigger fort and better mercenaries. And then the next year, I can go after a bigger bank, or I can hire a team of hackers to work for me and get into a bigger bank. So I, I that's a good point. I probably turn this into an enterprise, and then once I get enough money that I don't know what to do with it, then I can just retire on some island somewhere. You're putting a giant target on your back. Eventually become the richest man in the world, right? Or not even. It's like, hey, Chris Louie's the dude that got $10 million. Next purge night, man, you better hope you got $10 million worth of security (laughs) because they're coming in hot. Yeah, it's just escalation after escalation, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about keeping a low key. True. I think that's it. Instead of driving around in a Tesla, I'd be driving around in a Prius. Oh, wait. I already drive around in a Prius. So, <laughs> Ooh, Guess who has $10 million, boys? You yeah. Yeah. That's really tough. They'll be, they'll be sadly disappointed when they see my bank account. So, yeah. All right. For our first topic, a U.S. Navy engineer was arrested attempting to sell classified nuclear submarine information to someone he thought was a foreign agent. This Navy engineer, Jonathan Trobe, allegedly tried to do a dead drop of a micro SD card containing classified information and hid it inside a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Trobe communicated with someone he thought was a foreign agent using the encrypted email service ProtonMail and set up payment through the untraceable cryptocurrency Monero. In fact, Trobe was communicating with an undercover FBI agent. Trobe used modern technology to help fuel one of the oldest professions of the world, a double agent. He would upload an encrypted zip file to a secure cloud service and provide the decryption key after payment was received. ProtonMail, the encrypted email service, was used so authorities could not intercept the communications. Except he was communicating with an undercover FBI agent, so none of that mattered. He would be extremely careful, like he asked the foreign agent to raise a signal from their embassy in Washington, D.C. to prove that they were actually a foreign asset and not an undercover cop. Who knew foreign governments would help the FBI catch a spy? His downfall was that despite his amazing operational security, or OPSEC, he did the dead drop in person, He set up the dead drop in advance, and he allowed the alleged foreign agent to pick the place. 
so that allowed the FBI to perform a sting operation and catch him red-handed. Why this had to be in person and not using the encrypted cloud file service? Well, who knows. So why would he do that in person knowing that he had the, the, the encrypted file service that all he had to do was send the encryption key? He, he never had to put himself in harm's way. It's kind of yeah, op yeah that, one, that right? is puzzling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Never do anything in person, or or send a, what do they call it? Send a shadow, or send a, a cutout. Send a cutout. You never go yourself. You always send someone else in your place. So there's definitely some spycraft that he could have picked up on, and he might not have gotten arrested that way. But yeah, the it'll be interesting to see how this case plays out. Yeah, I would have sent Drizzly, Uber, Lyft. <laughs> I would have sent something. <laughs> I bet you if we looked at his rap sheet, he probably has like a record on there, like trying to hire like someone off a of Craigslist to commit a crime or a murder. Like he's obviously not the brightest person in the world. Good OPSEC until the very end. I mean, it kind of dropped the ball. What's funny, uh, <clears throat> when you brought up the Navy engineer and the classified nuclear submarine, what kind of popped into my head was a movie, I think back in like 2018 called Operation Odessa. Did you guys ever hear about this? Oh, no. Do tell. Sounds familiar, but yeah. Do tell. Yeah, so it was back like Florida, these, you know, drug dealers just making crazy money and like this insane money. They're trying to figure out how to move stuff around. And so this is like right around the time of like the whole like uh, all the stuff going down in Russia, like back in the 80s, I believe. And everything was for sale, like everything. So they were buying this like crazy amounts of, I think, guns and ammunition. But then they decided, you know what? We're going to try to buy a submarine from russia and uh, they were i think they were really really close to actually getting away with it but it was it's just an insane movie and if you watch it it's all 100 percent based on a true story and dear god the i don't know what these guys were doing must have just been chock full of coke and rock stars or something that the movie goes hard it's insane I, yeah 10 out of 10 highly recommend if you're bored one day if i remember the story around that right it wasn't a full-size like military submarine it was like a two-person submarine just filled to the brim with drugs if i was if i'm not mistaken right and even strapped stuff around it just so that they could haul all this cargo back and forth between you know florida and what other country there was they were smuggling from maybe i'm wrong in that uh, I, you know, I don't know if this is the same story. Maybe they were using a smaller two-man submarine, but no, this was a big boy. Like, oh wow, they were on a military base. You know, they they were taking Polaroids. Like, so scared, like just dumb, like just so dumb. <laughs> but buying like a large vessel, like yeah, literally anything was for sale back then. It's a fun fact related to <laughs> submarines. I I think I, I'll get the exact numbers wrong, so you can. But it's a true story that I think it was. In the 80s, you know, during the Soviet Union, um, they wanted a lot of Pepsi. So PepsiCo shipped a bunch of Pepsi to the Soviet Union and Soviet Union, their, their, their cash wasn't worth much or the ruble, whatever the currency they use. So they gave uh, Pepsi in exchange for a large shipment of Pepsi, um, submarines and boats. So for a very short time, PepsiCo had the sixth largest Navy in the world until they, until Pepsi sold, they have no use for a Navy. So they sold, I think it was off to Sweden and got their money back, but yeah, so Pepsi had their own private navy for a very short time. Wow. Hey, Jesus, so let's let's go back to the story, right? So, what do you think the punishment is for espionage? Is it death by firing uh, squad? I, is it Guantanamo Bay for life? What do you guys think? 
So it depends. In this case, this person was leaking nuclear submarine secrets to allegedly, I think it was France. There's if, if you look it up in, right now, there's there's some tensions with France and nuclear subs and, and, and the like. So they're trying to gain a competitive advantage um, that I don't think it's quite as bad. You know, I don't like people mishandling classified information, period. You know, he, he definitely should go to jail. But I think this is very different than that FBI agent, Robert something, and uh, I think it was in the 90s, who was passing classified intel to the Russians and got a whole bunch of U.S. assets killed. Uh, that's treason. That guy should get the death penalty. Uh, this guy, in, in the case of someone passing nuclear secrets to a foreign government, jail time for sure, probably not quite the level of treason as well, there's, there's two sides. getting our agents killed. So f- being a former military guy, there's two sides of that, right? One is... Now you're giving away our secret sauce, per se, right? And so, you know, a foreign country will know where our weaknesses are, right? And then the second True. part of yeah. that is the R&D that goes into us creating our our submarines, right? So you're, you're giving leaps and bounds to a foreign country that didn't have to invest all that time and energy to basically say, you know, what works and what doesn't work. So I, for me, it, classified information is classified information. This guy should burn at the stake. Just just my two cents. I think he should have to do every single job that Mike Bro did on Dirty Jobs as a punishment. <laughs> just give him the crap into the stick. Yeah, that's that's an interesting take, Glenn. I think that's that's more the China approach, I guess. You know, China, they don't... <laughs> invest too heavily you know in, in their own r&d yeah. they just steal everybody else's r&d and you would chris they yeah. might be listening yeah well they probably are and you would have thought <laughs> and you would have thought france was our ally hmm maybe not fun fact xi jinping he's a listener to our podcast who yeah who? xi jinping the, the the president of china oh really oh. he's listened to our podcast <laughs> Oh, he should listen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he should listen to it. Nice. Brian's like, you better be careful. They're listening. I'm like, well, yeah, the president of China is a big fan of our podcast. That's right. I'll go with that. Next week, 7 million listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next story is going to be our ransomware story of the week. The U.S. Treasury Department of Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, better known as FinCEN, identified about $5.2 billion worth of outgoing Bitcoin transactions over the last 10 years that were related to ransomware. This report comes on the heels of the 31 Nation meeting to tackle the ransomware problem. The 31 Nation consortium plus the EU vowed to crack down on the cryptocurrency channels used to facilitate ransom payments to the ransomware gangs. Simply sanctioning or banning ransom payments have not been effective, so they're going back to the drawing board to get creative on how to handle this scourge. There have been efforts to enable the lawful use of cryptocurrencies while still enforcing sanctions and anti-money laundering laws. Consortium is hoping a combination of intelligence sharing, better cooperation, diplomacy, and law enforcement operations will lead to a measurable drop in the ransomware activity. Just like pre-9-11 when there were many agencies collecting the dots but no one to connect them, the era of enforcing digital currency must also move into their post-9-11 world. I commend this League of Nations for trying to find creative ways to tackle the ransomware problem. No matter how much you sanction these groups, there's always some shady exchange willing to do the cash-outs. 
the very nature of cryptocurrency is that it's decentralized. There's no one person or one entity that can control the money flow. Ransomware crews hire people and pay them with crypto. They rent servers to carry out their attacks using crypto. When they want to spend their summer at the Black Sea vacationing, they may need to cash out or they'll find someone who accepts the cryptocurrency. Most notably, China and Russia were not invited to the 31 Nation virtual gathering. I mean, you can't say anyone's surprised. Why would you invite the fox into the hen house? So, sorry, Vlad. Going back to like having a spending problem, like if you if you're a bad guy and you have a bunch of crypto, then you, unless you have like a crazy amount of crypto, I would think that you're just trying to hold for as long as you can. So I don't know that I'm trying to re, you know trying to find places that accept cryptocurrency. And I, I I guess I'd have to venture out like how much money would you actually need in crypto before you felt comfortable enough to start spending it on Domino's Pizza. Or movie theaters, right? So, like, if you look at AMC now, they're starting to take crypto at uh, AMC as well. So, oh, are they? All right. Yeah. What yeah. other? It's a form of payment. I don't think I've ever seen anywhere in Arizona, because that's the only place I've been in like the last couple of years, uh, that accepts. I've never seen anywhere that takes cryptocurrency. I've seen it like in in NorCal, I believe, when I was traveling back, you know, pre twenty twenty. Do you guys see a lot of it? There's a sushi restaurant at, near one of our SKOs, I remember, out in Florida that had a sign that said, you know, 10% off if you pay with Bitcoin. So I know it's, it's, it's here and there. It's, it's not as common right now. But I know even Yelp has a filter now that says accepts cryptocurrency, yes or no. So you can actually filter on Yelp if they, if they accept it. Hey, quick question on the, uh, the $5.2 billion worth of outgoing transactions in the last 10 years. Like... Is that is that five point two billion in twenty eleven currency, or is that like this an average? Because like obviously, if Bitcoin was worth point oh nothing back in the day, right, and you, and you were spending you know ten thousand Bitcoin for uh, a Chicago hot dog, right? Like you know, there's a, a vast difference. Do you have any idea? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if they took the value of the Bitcoin at the time, or if they just aggregated the Bitcoin and multiplied it by today's price. Yeah, I mean, five hundred million a year on ransoms—that's, I think that's reasonable because there's there's a lot of attacks we hear in the news, and then there's probably a lot that goes on that we don't hear in the news. The whole point of cryptocurrency is the fact that it's decentralized, right? So now these thirty-one nations plus the EU are are now trying to figure out a way to control this. I think this is just a power grab that. Like I said, I'm going to call it for what it is, right? They're just trying to figure out a way to maybe commoditize this so that way they can tax it, do something with it. Taxation is theft. Wait, I'm not on mute. <laughs> um, so with with services like Coinbase and, and Robinhood, you know, to me, that seems like it helps decentralize the currency or am I just being dumb? That's one way law enforcement can trace shady uh, transactions and attribute it to a person is when they cash out. So when you you cash out from cryptocurrency to fiat or you know the hard currency that you can spend at, at any store, that's usually where they get them. The problem is you have these shady exchanges like BTCE was one of these shady exchanges where they just cash anybody out. There's like no questions asked, 
know, know your customer protocols, no anti-money laundering protocols in place. They got in a lot of trouble for this, but yeah, there's, there's going to be always going to be some shady exchange out there, especially in, in China or Russia where it's, you know, authorities look the other way if you're helping the state. Uh, so that's a good place to catch, I, I guess, non us and, and Russia crooks. Uh, that's how they caught some people here. I think there was somebody in the Secret Service and somebody in the U.S. Marshal Service here. They caught a guy. He had a bunch of Bitcoin. They stole all his Bitcoin, and they tried to cash it out. And then that's how they got him is when they tried to cash it out. Interesting. Do you know, what was the VIG with BTE when you went, you know, tried to move that money? Well, how much were they taking off the top? Uh, that I don't know. I, I know there's a standard transaction fee, and I'm sure there was a, a no questions asked premium that you could pay on that. And that's that's usually, I imagine, anywhere from 10 to 30%. That's a big cut. Glenn, can you yeah, comment? That's like standard, that's standard money laundering. Like you, you, you take about 20% or, or so just to, to clean up the money. Glenn, can you share your story of a, a friend that... Uh might own a, a considerable amount of Bitcoin, or is that not appropriate for the podcast? Uh, no, he's a good friend of mine, um, known him for quite some time. He was buying Bitcoin, I think, God, ever since it was, I think, two or seven dollars, you know, on average, two to seven bucks, and maybe even before that, and he was mining. And, uh, you know, we met, gosh, it had to have been like 10 years ago now. And he was trying to get me to buy in, and they had a big rise, and it went to three hundred. I'm like, that. I, there's no way I'm buying in at three hundred. That's just way too much. A couple friends bought in, yeah, and then you know I, I, I hadn't talked to him a while, and then I think it must have been another two or three years later, and then it went up to like three thousand dollars, and I was like, <laughs> now it's really now it's ten times more than I said it was too high. And he just called me the other day, and I was laughing because I said, "So how, how's my forty-two million dollar buddy?" And he goes, "Oh, dude, I'm way past forty-two million. I'm, I'm at eight figures now." And I'm like, "F you!" Oh, sorry, <laughs> excuse me. He had to bleep that out. So I, the whole time I was just cursing him out, and he goes, "I told you to buy at three hundred. And I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I'm the dumbest person on earth." And uh, there you go. That's my story and how dumb I am. Just so you know, like you call this guy a close friend, but a close friend would be like, hey, Glenn, you're not working anymore because guaranteed if I had eight figures, like my three best friends at work and my boss are no longer working. Like I'm taking care of all y'all. No, he, this, he, and you can, he he said it. He says, I, I just wanted to let you know I, I, I left um, this company um, and I've decided just to become a house husband and uh, retire in North Carolina. And I'm like. F you. <laughs> so, so the whole time <laughs> no, I was no, like, "You're missing my point." I got eight figures. You're retiring, and Chris is retiring. retiring. Oh, retiring. My yeah. Boss is, and Anderson's retiring. Like, ain't no. I'm taking you guys all the way with me to the top. There I you trust go, you. Brian. Yeah. Same, same. If I had eight figures, we're all retiring together, and all we're gonna do every day is just do a podcast. So. It'll just be a podcast of our conversation. Yeah, it'd be it'd be, it'd be conversational podcast, <laughs> so, and we'd have this the, be, we'll the be, best gear ever. We would have we would have, we'd probably have our own studio. Yeah, we'll be one star on iTunes. What are these guys talking about all day? There's a thousand episodes, but it's all nonsense. Like, uh, we don't care. So, I just want to mention that we do have some late breaking news on the ransomware front that the Revil gang has been effectively knocked offline after their payment portal and leak database, their Tor websites, were hijacked. Is it related to this 31 nation meeting? I'll leave that up to you, the listener. 
Our next topic sounds awfully related to the T-Mobile hack story we did on episode 24. Twitch, the popular streaming service owned by Amazon, got hit by a massive data breach. Over 120 gigabytes of data was stolen and leaked online using 4chan with a torrent file. Twitch said that no user passwords or credit card numbers were exposed, but that's about the only thing that wasn't stolen. The list of stolen files so far includes the entirety of Twitch TV with their commit history going back to their very beginning, the Twitch clients, proprietary SDKs, every other property that Twitch owns like CurseForge, an unreleased stream competitor from Amazon, Twitch sock internal red teaming tools, and creator payout reports from 2019 until now. And I think that last one was the one that got the most media attention because people are online saying, oh my gosh, how can these streamers be making $5, $10 million a year? What do they do all day? They just play video games. And that's the commentary we're seeing in the news right now. To me, the, the funniest one is the, the internal red teaming tools <laughs> were stolen. Like, that's just messed up. That If that's not the biggest FU... Uh, I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever like ever seen this in a breach where they took the red teaming tools. That is fire eye. Uh, fire. Oh yeah, yeah. Freaking hilarious. Yeah. Though. Good for them. Yeah. Well, Twitch only learned about it when the data popped up online. Just like my former employer, Citrix, they only found out that they were breached when the FBI contacted them. The hackers said they leaked the data as a response to Twitch's poor handling of these so-called hate raids where bots attack and flood the chats of the top streamers with abusive content. Ironically, the dump data indicated that Twitch is taking these raids very seriously and we're coming up with a strategy on how to deal with them. Now this is where the similarities with T-Mobile come in. The source of the leak was a server named git-aws.internal.justin.tv. Now, for those of you that don't know, Justin.tv was the original name of the company prior to its rebranding in Twitch about 10 years ago. So that Git server appears to be part of some very, very old infrastructure. An attacker discovered this Git server hosted up in AWS and found it was not secured in the same way Twitch secures the rest of their infrastructure, just like how T-Mobile got hacked because someone left Telnet open on an internet-facing router. What's more concerning is that Amazon-owned Twitch did not know the attackers were in their network for weeks with no intrusion detection, and they had no idea the attacker had exfiltrated over 120 gigabytes of their most sensitive information out of their network. So no IPS IDS, no network segmentation, no data loss prevention. The leak was labeled as part one, so we will have to see if the hackers release any additional data dumps. Shake my head. Well, you know, they say no IPS, IDS, or we say that, right? No network segmentation or DLP. But the reality is, you know, a company as large as Amazon, like how do you properly manage those tools? And like, how do you filter out the white noise from the, the stuff, like the outliers, right? And, uh, you know, I don't see Amazon going out and like buying best of breed for maybe network segmentation or something like that. So like, I can see exactly why they missed this information. You also look at, the 120 gigabytes of, of stolen information, like what would happen if they were very similar to like our employer when it comes to storing stuff, they obfuscate it and they compress it. And there's like a 50 to one ratio, right? And uh, in order for that to happen, like you could offload 120 gigs, which is really 50 times greater, but you need like private encryption keys to actually open that up. Clearly that wasn't anything that was uh, going on there. And then I guess the last part, 
to this, and I'll let you comment as well, Gwen, is uh, can you imagine being the FBI agent trying to get a hold of somebody over at Amazon or Twitch and just like, hey, this is uh, FBI agent Brian Deach. I need to talk to you guys about daily. They're like, click. You're like, no, really, guys. Like, uh, I'm, I'm serious. Like, uh, what's your, you need to call support. Like, he was probably on the phone for days, if not oh, weeks, trying was, to get a hold of someone that actually here. Getting the run around. Think about this. Yeah. Like, you've reached Amazon. Press one if you want to contact customer support. <laughs> Press two if you want to get to IT. And then the guy goes, I just can't, just so funny. Just think of the uh, call routing that would take for him to break through. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you're met with the minimum to wage employee. data breach. Press one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're, you're met with, like, so just imagine, right? Like, not that there's anything wrong with the minimum wage employee, but let's say you have a minimum wage employee answers the phone, um, while working from home in their mother's basement, right? They're just, you know, sitting there fielding customer service calls. And they're like, I'm an agent. And you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, I'll just throw this in the queue. Like how long, like how big is the help desk, like ticket log for Amazon? Like it's got to just be atrocious. And, and chances are when you're calling in, you're not even reaching Amazon. You're reaching some sort of uh, staffing agency, right? That actually populate. Yeah. Outsource. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Outsource yeah. support. Dang. So oh so so hold on. Maybe in defense of Amazon, you know, as Twitch is being a, you know, an entity of Amazon, maybe they just separate them. I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they let them control their own network, their, their own network and security controls, uh, and you know, they can or may or may not abide to the Amazon security control structure. I, I don't know, but if you look at it from a subsidiary standpoint, they may or may not be part of that whole thing right as far as you know uh controls from 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 the the main office per se yeah this is the exact problem with mergers and acquisitions this is how marriott got hacked they acquired starboard starboard uh, properties mm -hmm. and starboard was already hacked they integrated the networks and now all of a sudden the hackers that attacked starboard are now inside marriott's network it's it's the exact m a problem when you onboard a company that has disparate security controls than, than the acquiring company. You know, there's something to be said about keeping the, the lights on when you work IT. Like, I can't believe I was on a customer call the other day and they were asking if we had agent support for NT 4.0. I'm like, oof. <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> you guys are in such a bad predicament. Like, I can't, like you've already been owned. You just have no idea. Right? You're wondering why you're running razor thin margins is because, you, you know, yeah, we have we'll, to support stuff that hasn't been around in two decades. And by the way, we also support Windows ME and Windows ninety five. Eh. <laughs> no, <laughs> said but no one ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I was at a uh, a church once, and I think I sent. I think maybe just you, Chris. I sent you a a, a screenshot of a a Windows XP computer that was uh, running like all of the audio and lights in, inside the building. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think if it's if it's an air gap system, if it's not internet connected or even connected to the network, you know that's that's fine. You know, I know there's still MRI machines out there running Windows 98, and and that's fine. It's just when these systems become vulnerable to attack if they're not air gapped, if they're not segmented properly. You know, if you need to get out to the internet, fine. This machine has a direct connection out to the internet, but it can't talk to anything else on my network. It can't go east west. It's properly segmented, and there are very well-documented use cases of <clears throat> supporting old operating systems. It's just you have to segment it properly. So even if it gets infected or if it gets uh, compromised, it 
you, you, you can severely limit the blast radius. Speaking of network segmentation, I'm kind of blown away that this thing is kind of resurfaced, right? Like when I was a customer side, it was like a, you know, ACI or NSX and like, uh, everybody was just looking for the suicide note. Like, how do you like <laughs> to end it all once the, once you're done with it, <laughs> nothing worked. Who was the gatekeeper of truth? Um, I, I definitely like more of the modern approach to, uh, network segmentation or micro segmentation. And I think, uh, you know, stuff that works both at the legacy data center as well as, you know, the, uh, the private cloud has tons of benefits and then being able to secure it. If you can see at least half of the, the traffic is, uh, is pretty dope, but uh, I would I would say that in large, I think uh, the conception around it has, sh has shifted a little bit. Before it was like we want to do network or micro segmentation for the entire network, right? And the network guys, their heads are exploding because they're like, "Well, where's the router? Like, no one cares about your router, man. Like, we're talking about applications here." And so the the thing that I've noticed, and the reason why I would say a lot of people have been successful in this is they're just like, "Well." you know, what do we actually care about today, right? Maybe it's just the crown jewels, this database server mainframe, whatever we got, you know, rolling around back over here at the data center. Or maybe our, our only thing is e-com, right? And it's the, the storefront that we have out on Amazon. We, you know, we want to be able to wrap our hands around that. I think it's been a, a different approach that I've seen a lot of customers be successful with. What about you guys? I think Brian, great point, right? It's like where the crown jewels, but I mean, these guys didn't even do layer one, right? Which is, you know, or 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 you know, you know, lay, uh, security in layers and no IDS, no I, no IPS, no network segmentation, no data loss prevention. I mean, they failed. They they got an F on basically just you know simple simple security tools that they should have had in place to begin with. Yeah, even tools like the host name of this machine implies it was up in AWS. I mean, AWS has native tools where you can compare the security baseline of your VMs and your workloads compared to the, your company's standard baseline. There are many aftermarket tools out there as well that help you with that, that posture management. But even just running the internal AWS tool, does this machine have open telnet? Does this machine have weak credentials? Do, do we have MFA enabled? Like these are tools available right out of the box and they didn't even run that on this server. So, I mean, yeah, like Glenn said, this was a series of cascading failures and Twitch and Amazon are paying the price for it. I think it's, it's interesting that like on AWS that you can literally buy a virtual license to whatever you want and run it up there. But I, I look at Amazon and I think that they are probably not going to go out and buy a best of breed WAF, right? And the, the same thing, like if it was for DDoS protection, I just think they're just like, oh, we'll just absorb it ourselves, right? We'll just spin up a bunch of VMs and and take that in and we'll get by with just whatever we can create, right? We'll, just, we'll look at it and see, you know, what does it, what actually fits as far as IPS or, or for DLP? Like, I don't even know. Do they have homegrown stuff for, for DLP? Do you guys know? Yeah, I know for sure they do. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll tell you that so, offline later on. <laughs> Okay, so you know, but but is it is it like just what our grandfathers would have done, like a regex pattern, like something that's not manageable, or are it's, they doing it's, exact data match? It's been a while, but I'm sure it's matured some since since uh, I last saw this. So yeah. All right, for our final topic, and it'll be a rotating topic every week. We're going to talk about Canon, the company that makes digital cameras, scanners, and most notably printers. 
A lawsuit was filed this month alleging that Canon disables the scan feature of its multifunction printers when the printer is out of ink. Printers are the ultimate business school study just like shaving razors. You sell the shaving handle or the printer for a low cost, maybe even at a loss, and you charge exorbitant fees for the razor blade and the printer ink. When not buying generics, my printer's toner replacements are $100 a piece and I have four colors to replace. To me, that's a real scumbag corporate move. Canon confirmed on their support forums that yes, you do have to have ink in the cartridge in order to use the scan feature so it's by design and not a bug. This reminds me when I was in grade school and I needed to print out my homework in black and white at an old inkjet printer, but one of the colors in the colors cartridge was empty. It would not print in black and white even though the black ink cartridge was full. I have a scanner printer, but I probably print maybe once or twice a month, but I use a scanner much more often. I really do hope the plaintiffs here win and Canon is forced to pay out a bunch of money and change their unethical business practices. Until then, I say vote with your wallet and don't buy Canon. Yeah. Didn't I'll even know Canon had printers. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you another thing that irritates me. is It's when you get a software upgrade to your OS and then all of a sudden the drivers that run the scanning or printing portion stop working. And so it's, it almost renders the, the device just as useless as anything else, right? You can't, like you can print, but you can't scan. And, I, and I'm having this issue right now where I can't scan anything because I've got this new M1 laptop from, from, Mac, from uh, Apple and the scanning function doesn't work because they don't have any um, scanning drivers for it. And you go back to the company that I got this from and it's, same predicament, right? It's like it's not available. So, what the hell are you guys scanning? Like, are you guys just sitting on there and scanning your butt cheeks? Like, I don't under, like. I can't remember the last time I scanned anything. Like doctor's forms, legal forms, you have to sign and return. Yeah, like certain things I could do on my iPad, you know, with the with the Apple Pencil, but certain things I have to you know, physically fill it out and then scan and send it. Yeah, I know. Once I a year, use my phone. Once a year, Sign I gotta scan. Yeah, once a year, I have to scan um, tax documents, right? So, I know that for sure. But you use your phone to do that. You just use a PDF scanner on your phone and take a picture and off to the races. The notes and just yeah, just use the notes app and do the the PDF. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I have a scanner. By the way, if you're gonna buy a, uh, like a, a multi-function printer, I think I got an Epson. Uh, life pro tip on this. Tell your kids they can just print whatever they want because rest assured, um, if you decide to let it sit around and then only print pictures off like once a year, the print head gets clogged and you can't, it becomes useless, right? So I just tell the kids just print whenever you want, however you want. They took advantage of it at the very beginning, but now it's like once or twice a week, uh, might see something come off and it's because my daughter's going to you know try to replicate some drawing that she sees online and so she'll print it off, but uh that has been a lifesaver because uh, it seems to get some, you know, longevity out of this this dang system for sure. Yeah, I, I converted to laser, right, color laser, and that got me away from having to worry about ink drying. So, because ink was just as much yeah, as a same here as as a toner cartridge at that point, and not only that, but what did you guys go with? I looked for so long, I didn't I, I didn't find anything I was in love with. Yeah, I ended up with a Samsung who no longer makes it, and now it's owned by HP. So the whole Samsung print line got sold to HP, and then now, I, like I said, I can scan on my Intel-based Mac, but I can't scan on my new M1 Mac. 
What about Real you, Chris? Crap. What do you got? Yeah. I just checked. Unfortunately, I do have a cannon, so <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if they allow me to scan when I run out of time. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. maybe can't, you can't return these, it at this the, point. The color lasers is, is the quality pretty good on it. Yeah, I'm happy with mine. Uh, doesn't matter. It's it's just your average norm. I'm not I'm not trying to print pictures to be uh, sent off for you know to, to hang on a wall. This is just stuff so that way the kids can get through college. Because unfortunately, they still have to print stuff, which is kind of weird, right? Yeah, that is yeah weird. we're going backwards. Yeah. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, I'm up. There are two fish in a tank. One looks at the other and says, how do you drive this thing? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. That's awesome. That's a good other friend. <laughs> all right to wrap things up if you're committing espionage do not allow your contact to set up a dead drop in advance over 30 countries are teaming up to fight the ransomware scourge china and russia were excluded twitch got owned because they left a vulnerable server up in aws and boycott canon until they changed their business practices that's all we have for this week we hope you enjoyed this week's episode you can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pebcac Podcast, and you can check out our awesome Halloween costumes. You can help us grow the podcast by telling someone else about it. And thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you spreading the word to help us grow the show. The best place to find us is to search for the Pebcac Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-hosts Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, I'm Chris Lloyd. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Happy Halloween, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Have a nice day.